So, Robin, how's the book going? It is actually going again, Lucy. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> this is right place, right time, and we're forever revising. <laughs> oh, man. for us <laughs> um i think we also kind of hit some creative blocks or burnout or whatever we'll, we'll oh, yeah. talk about it yeah. um like spring saw robin's book release i think that was spring right was that summer yeah. god it okay. was the end of may so it was like okay. exactly the transition between spring and summer cool that's why it feels like both very recent and somehow very far away in time i don't know yes and obviously that was a big undertaking that had, you know, taken up your brain for literal years leading up to it and <laughs> everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I finally finished that big fanfic project I've been working on for like the last five years, um, which has <laughs> been well received so far. I'm releasing it a chapter at a time on AO3. If anyone really cares, message me on Twitter and I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, between that, all of that, <laughs> and trying to actually visit some of our families this year, um, or this summer, we've both been kind of drained recently, um, but I think we're feeling a lot more in it now, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say that, yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and we are still kind of figuring out the format for this podcast somehow, like two years in, whatever. Um, I think we may switch to episodes once a month for a little while instead of twice a month, just to kind of help balance all the things. Um, and today, we're mostly going to talk about our summer progress. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, tell me about your book, Lucy. Yeah, well, I finished the first step in my revision process, actually reading my story. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and it went pretty well, actually. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things to change and a lot of things that are, like, undone or completely... Like, there is, like, no ending, basically, so I'll have to deal with that. But I knew all of that going in. <laughs> I mean, this was basically a messy NaNoWriMo draft, after all, so, like, it it needs some work. <laughs> uh, but there were a lot of good things there, too. A lot of scenes and character insights that I can take forward into the next draft. Yeah, it has such a warm heart. Like, it, it may have, like, you may be able to see what you need to change and do with it now, mm. but, like something will be carried through that is really special. So I'm, oh, thank you. I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's a good kind of solid center to it, like kind of like metaphorical heart thing that um, that that will remain. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and I, as I was reading it, I took like cursory notes. I mostly noted what was happening in each chapter so I could reference it later and kind of know what happened. Uh, but I also made some like larger notes here and there about things I wanted to change or keep or what scenes were working and what weren't. Um, almost more exciting than all of that, though, I started outlining! <laughs> yeah, that's hard work. Yeah, and I both love and hate outlining. <laughs> like, I love me some organized structure, but I also know that some things just need to happen organically, and it's hard to account for that in an outline. It's a little easier on a second draft, because at least you know what you already did, but you still have no way of really knowing what will happen until you actually write it. Definitely. 
And that's just, it's hard to both, like, have that roadmap that makes it actually feel like a successful work, but also have room for it to, like, be its own kind of living thing. It's just, it's a, it's a tricky process. <laughs> it is. And I know that this book needs some major overhaul as far as structure goes. It's high on characters, low on plot, which is how most of my rough drafts are. <laughs> it's just more <laughs> character-y. <laughs> Uh, my quickest and probably favorite outlining style is where I create two or three columns for the major characters or conflicts in the story. So for this one, I have a column for each of my two POV characters, and then one for the overall trajectory of the D&D club that they're in, since that drives the big plotty stuff. Yeah, I love this. I may need to kind of try out this format, because I just have like eight different LibreOffice documents open that have different... <laughs> like character capsules and oh god it's it's a mess <laughs> yeah i started doing this about maybe 10 years ago when i was doing nanorimo because i would just have three major like plot lines and whenever i was like i don't know what to do next i would just jump to another plot line and describe what was going on in that character or that you know section and so i could just like alternate scenes that way so if i was stuck i had like a really easy like just move on to the next thing direction to go <laughs> And I'm still kind of finessing the stuff in the columns for this project, but I have some pretty solid beats for the overall story. I still need to ramp up that conflict stuff, but it's getting there. <laughs> Most importantly, I have a path forward now and a way to kind of visualize what I'm doing and where I need to, like, focus my energy. I think the next step is to talk it out with a few uh, key writing buddies, <laughs> and uh, then I can start writing the second draft. <laughs> oh yeah, anytime. Like... I am so stoked to read more of this and to talk more about your project with you. But also, like, I'm excited because I know that you had, like, kind of a good writing rhythm towards the end of spring term. Mm -hmm. So you're probably going to be able to, like, ease back into that for fall term. Yeah, I'm hoping, like, I'm, I wanted to get kind of more done this summer, but just schedules being what they were did not work out. But I'm hoping that having that kind of, like, somewhat daily schedule and routine again will kind of help me fit writing back into that in a way that is just hard to do when you're like traveling half the time <laughs> i i can almost guarantee you that in our episodes in like may you were just like oh in summer i'll have i'll be mm -hmm. able to create my own schedule and work on writing <laughs> so much so on some level like look hope hope you know hope springs eternal okay <laughs> yeah well it's you always get it done anyway yes it's because last summer was much more of a like stay home, be productive summer, whereas this one was a much more see as many people as you can safely and reasonably do. <laughs> so it yeah. just, it lent itself to less getting writing done. But I think I also kind of needed that break. So it's all. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay, Robin, your turn. Tell me about your projects. All right. So I survived some pretty intense burnout that ate my July and a chunk of my August. Mm. Um, and some of that was that, like, I did actually take a break, uh, you know, went to the coast, whatever, you know, like, thank goodness I got to do that. Um, but also, I did finally get some feedback <laughs> on my novel um, from a critique event I did. And then probably even more importantly, although, you know, like that, that was really helpful and, and special, just having anybody outside of like my core group of people reading this reminded me that it exists, which was at, at first a very scary thought, but I finally got um, feedback from my agent as well. 
And I had been um, so scared that I was going to be told to just scrap the whole project. You know, and this is a thing I really care about. So, Mm -hmm. of course, I make up in my head that it's bad and everyone will tell me to stop writing it. Like, (laughs) why would I not do that? I don't worry, I have a therapist and we're talking about it. But anyway, I was such an anxious mess um, about this. And that didn't help the burnout at all. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But also, yeah, so like actually hearing back did really, really help. Um, Especially because the feedback was so actually helpful for making the book better. And so clearly helpful for making the book better that it has me like excited to work on it. Because instead of getting anything depressing that I was like, oh, just anticipating for mental health reasons, like bad mental health reasons. Instead of that, I got like, oh, here are some things that are going to help this really come to life. And like, oh, just yes, like I needed that. (laughs) I love that. Like that's what good editors and agents are for is like giving you that really helpful feedback that actually like re-inspires you. <laughs> yeah. Having um and then having like anything from that critique event was it was useful too. Like it it got me in a pretty good place and it was funny because I signed up for that event and like days after it my agent sent me a big big email hmm. and a few days after that we had like a 3 hour long phone conversation that was like an incredibly generous gift of her time (laughs) where we just like went over every single project I'm working on, which there are a lot of projects I'm working on. So I'm (laughs) going to spin the advice that I got for this novel into a bit of a discussion point. um, Because it was actually kind of, I don't know, I I thought an interesting industry insight, actually. Um, But first, I'm going to update that the picture book I've been working on all year is so close to having the text finalized. And I'm sure that's that's also something I've said every month, um, <laughs> basically all year. But the thing is, like, with 500 words, they kind of have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot easier to rewrite the manuscript and, like, sketch out pages than to just completely redo all the artwork when we mm-hmm. realize something is just not working. So Sure. <laughs> We're also trying to decide how long it should be, um, I have a 32-page and a 40-page version that I laid out, and so I'm waiting to hear back from the editor and the art director about which of those um, we're going to go with. I really am enjoying working so closely with them. Like, it's it's frustrating. Like, every time I find out that something that I was writing isn't communicating perfectly clearly, I have a total breakdown about whether I could be a writer and can make anything happen, and then I'm reminded, like, no, this is actually a normal normal part of the process, especially when you're just trying to do so much with so little. Um, And I know that, like, working on this is making me a better picture book writer. Um, And that is scary, but obviously a good thing. And (laughs) hopefully that focus on paring something down to its bare essentials, and it's like perfect 500 words, or or fewer, right? Hopefully that is going to help me um, deal with the incredible length of my novel that I'm revising. (laughs) So the feedback I got was like mainly two big things to consider that would actually change structure or top level aspects of my book. One of them was that these speculative elements needed to be really clearly there from like word one. um, Because in the version I currently have, I lead up to it where we're not entirely sure whether something supernatural is happening or not until until it is like 
fully revealed, but it is about 10,000 words of the project before that's made completely clear. Um, and it's like, basically, I have to get to the metaphorical ghost factory before the metaphorical millhouse starts complaining. The reader's millhouse here, sorry. <laughs> um, but it's true. Like, I need to do that. It, it makes total sense that no one who would buy this book, if this, you know, ever comes out, right? Anyone buying this book is going to buy it knowing that it's genre fiction, knowing that it's about ghosts. And there's a little bit of like, why are there no ghosts for so long? Um, <laughs> and I can solve this problem really easily by adding a chunk with the other perspective character for a new cold opening that has ghosts in it from the very get-go, and then basically cuts to what I had before. Um, and it'll give us interesting dramatic irony instead of quite this like mystery. Hmm. So that will be that will be fun. It is also so obvious that I kind of didn't want to admit that I had to be told to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of just how that works, right? Like sometimes you can't see the obvious because you're too close. Like I and you and everyone else reading it for the first time already know the premise, so we didn't really need a cold open to make the genre clear, because we're very aware of, like, who the characters are and what's going on. But a new reader, like, doesn't have that perspective, and it just happens that, like, this idea also really works well to, like, introduce that and also kind of, like, inspire you to get the characters a little earlier in. I don't know. I, yes. think it's, I think it's exciting, and again, I'm like, yes, this is what, like, agents, editors, even just, like, you know reading groups or whatever this is yeah. like the best part of all of that <laughs> it, it is it's feeling really like like wow this project is alive and i'm getting to really be in it as opposed to like oh how do i fix my dead book like it's great <laughs> i'm very much enjoying this part of this process mm -hmm. <laughs> so the other big thing that i needed to address was i have been setting it in the 90s and I am really certain it needs to be in the 90s. I'm really attached to its, like, retro, like, like period setting. But, and my agent said something like, are you, how attached are you to this? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to justify this to her. So I started on this whole spiel on the phone with her about all the reasons why it had to be. And she stopped me and she's like, no, instead of justifying your book being said in this specific period, like, pick a concrete like we need we need to justify we like instead of just justifying it with all of these like reasons why you think it works or reasons why it can't be something else like let's talk about a concrete historical moment you can work into the plot so that it is completely clear to any editor that it has to be set in this time period hmm. um and I was like, yeah, because I have all these thematic and practical reasons why I think it's really great to be in the 90s. Everything from 90s horror is being marketed to teenagers right now <laughs> to like pre – I'm kind of interested in showing an adventure through the city pre-smartphones and, and showing how these kids manage to navigate everything with a completely different set of technology. Like I think that that – I also really like the timeless quality that something being – specifically retro kind can give things like mm -hmm. i'm very interested in all of those things and she was like yeah those are great like those are perfectly good reasons for wanting to do it and like perfectly good things to be thinking about as you're writing it but like let's have some concrete reason why it literally has to be that exact place in time and i thought that would be kind of a cool thing to talk about and consider a little bit because Often a book is set in a place we know well because that's what we can do the most justice to. That's what inspires us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. 
But this is just a way to consider how to be even more deliberate with the choices we make in a setting. Um, and I am maybe a bit preoccupied with the idea of being deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but like the advice I've been getting, I think, dovetails with that really nicely. And I think it's like, perhaps the default for a book is contemporary, but maybe even that is a choice that should be made deliberately, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for historical or retro time periods, like, it's not that they're disinteresting or not sellable to kids as well as adults, right? Like, people like period fiction. It's just, like, make it a clear, deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. You know, set it around something that has to, that would have to be in that period. So I think that, like, in this case, I, I'm really taking a concrete historical thing that happened that encapsulates the thematic things that I want to say about this city, because it's the city that I live in now, and it's a city that is fundamentally changed from what it was like in the 90s. And this was about the time that that was starting to change, and some people could point to this particular event <laughs> as one of those things, and it just works perfectly for me to have that be something that like the characters are also interacting with. Um, it just feels like it was always there. Like, I'm so excited, right? Like, it's a really natural solution for this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, ex- I don't know, I was just doing research and kind of being excited, and I stumbled onto this perfect thing. It really felt like a missing piece I should have had all along. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really magical. But I was just thinking about, like, yeah, when you're writing, like, the craft of making a story feel real and lived in and consequential depends on the author thinking through the time and place. What kinds of limitations or inspirations do the characters have because of when and where they are? What did readers probably know already? What do they need to be taught, right? And, you know, if you're writing a period piece for kids, because, you know, both of us are writing kid lit, we're not always writing kid lit, but we happen to be, so it's useful for me to bring this up right now, right? There's even more expectation you're going to have to kind of teach some history. There's less assumed knowledge on their part. So, like, when I wrote my book, I left in all these period details that might need more explanation because I wanted to feel as natural as I could for as long as I could before I cleaned it up for clarity. Mm. Um, I definitely am a believer in overwriting and (laughs) editing later, (laughs) which is difficult. But yeah, like, why set it in any particular time time or place if it doesn't matter other than those tiny details, though? If the city is a character, shouldn't the, the city's arc have some reality to it, right? And that was how I came to the conclusion of like, okay, let's pick this thing that would be important if the city of Portland is a character and has an arc. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Lucy, have you ever had to consider a setting or period like this before? Like, I don't know. I think we could talk a little bit about aspects of your setting that you think help tell your story even. Yeah. I I mean, I haven't really thought about it in this way. I have definitely – like, it's one of those things where I just – I think I haven't gotten a project – so full through that I had to like make those final decisions because um, I tend to just sort of like just start writing and, and not really specify a lot of things. Um, yeah, but you're I'm, a very intuitive writer. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but I'm very excited about like this whole concept of just like intentionally setting it somewhere. And I, like I like that your solution not only justifies the time period of like the 90s, but also the location of it being in Portland in ways that will only make the story stronger and immerse the reader more and maybe even get them interested in like what Portland was like at that time or what it's yeah. like now or whatever. <laughs> um, and I usually like when I'm writing just kind of by default, unless it's like a fantasy setting, I usually set books in 
vaguely the Pacific Northwest because, well, I have always lived in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but is there a good reason for them to be there? Like, that's something I need to consider for each work. And like I said, it's it's one of those things that I usually just kind of leave vague and with the with the knowledge that at some point I do kind of have to make that decision. Um, and I mean, of course, there's a certain desire to, you know, represent your own area and, you know, the benefit of, like, writing what you know. Definitely. But I like the idea of being more intentional than that, not just, you know, generic city that is suspiciously similar to places I myself have lived, <laughs> but a deliberate setting that really fits with the story you want to tell, whether that setting is a real place or like an amalgamation of places. And it's one aspect of like world building is basically what we're talking about that I think is easy to forget, especially for contemporary settings. It's just as important for fantasy or sci-fi, but I think you're more likely to take it into consideration when you're already building a world like that. Like, if you know you have to make this alien planet and decide what part of this alien planet your story happens on or whatever, you're making that conscious decision. Whereas if you're writing, like, contemporary, you know, high school, you might not think that much about it. Um, it's just hard to kind of remember that world building is just as important for, like, contemporary fiction or, you know urban fantasy or whatever, as it is for the more, like, high fantasy sci-fi stuff. Absolutely. And overall, yeah, I just, I really love that you got this feedback. I love this idea of being deliberate with, you know, setting and time period, and I am definitely going to think about that as I'm kind of, like, working on my revisions. <laughs> so thank you to your editor or agent or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> agent in this case. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about with your book specifically, um, it makes sense for it to... I think it actually does make sense for it to be set in a town kind of like the one that we grew up in, mm -hmm. because we grew up in a college town and you have plot elements having to do with, um, like, parents pressuring the kids about college. And yeah. I think that that actually gives you the possibility of, like, connecting, like, oh, we know students who are at college and they can talk about their experience. Like, like I think it actually kind of makes sense for it to be a college town. Like, I think that that has, like, a pretty legitimate like connection that that like being near a university will actually like enhance some elements of that story. Yeah, I think the the kind of college town setting really does make it like the concept of college maybe even a little bit more ubiquitous than it even is already. Like especially yeah. I think I imagine if you grow up in a smaller town that doesn't maybe even have a community college, like that is just that much less accessible to you even as a concept. Yeah. Whereas, like, we grew up just wandering around that campus because it was more active than the downtown was. Like, that was where you went. So it felt very real and very, like, achievable. Yeah. And, and like, it was really easy to imagine yourself there. Like, it, it was never really a question for me anyway. And I know that, you know, that wasn't true of everybody. Not everybody we know went to college. But, like, I think it was yeah, just a little not. bit more present than it might be with, like, a different setting. Even, like, a bigger city. Like, you don't necessarily, like, I don't necessarily think about the colleges in Portland except for the one I went to um, <laughs> quite as much as I did think about the university in our hometown. So, yeah, I like, I kind of like it, but I like that it now has extra levels that weren't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so the question is going to be, is there anything that could be happening with the college, like with the university in the book to tie into the plot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is there any way to take the place that they're in and just like have that come up a little bit more? And in some ways, you already have some of this, right? You're like, well, it's got to be a place that would have this really big comic and gaming store. And we know that being close to a university, like college students buy those things. And those <laughs> things are often really marketed to college students and to the kinds of people who work at universities. Mm -hmm. So it's like it kind of has this bit of like, 
there's a lot of cohesion to why you're building the world of the that the characters are in. It makes total sense. There's just that one little bit of like, oh, can we make any of this matter for the plot? And I think you I think you probably can because of the connection to like the parents pressuring people about college and everything. Yeah. I, I think that there's a certain to be said like you mentioned like intuitive writing or whatever. Like I think we both kind of did that. We're like those reasons were sort of subconsciously there when we were picking these projects and doing them in the way we did them, but to actually like target them and then intentionally like draw them out and make them stronger. Like that is what is wonderful about like the revision process. And yeah, it's just, it's nice to see like, oh, maybe I subconsciously did that, but now I can actually like intentionally do that. And how does that strengthen things? And yeah, it's, it's fun. I'm just very excited. <laughs> okay, Rob. Your homework for this week, month, whatever, is to do some outlining and really kind of mesh those changes into your overall story. Excellent. I mean, it's definitely going to take me more than a week to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I will probably be sending that to my agent, um, mm. but I also really need to write a few more chapters of my comic pitch this month. So mm. we will see how these things pace out, but I am pretty <laughs> sure I can do all of it. I mean, honestly, just thinking about all those things is part of the writing process. So even just like letting it mesh in your brain for a while is definitely. <laughs> I am working on an outline though, so I've like mm. I'm I've already started this homework. Good, good. Okay, so your homework, Lucy, is going to be well. You, you got that outline to finish, but mm. um, next you're gonna actually write the damn thing, implementing all of these changes you've made in the outline and this new plot trajectory we've been talking about. Yeah, that's terrifying, because, like, the big feedback I got from that writing conference we went to when I kind of got to talk to an agent was that she wanted to see it in first person, which is very, like, very good advice, and I completely agree, but it means that I have to kind of rewrite it all, and I have to, like, play with having alternate first person perspectives, which I don't think I've ever done, at least in a big way. So now that I have my, like, outline and I've kind of figured out more or less what that that conflict's going to be throughout. I have to actually, like, figure out how to write these characters in a slightly different way than I already have, and, like, how to integrate the stuff I do have into, like, these new voices, and it's going to be, like, a lot of writing again, and that's exciting, a little scary, but I am up for the challenge. Excellent. I know that that is a long-term homework assignment. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to start. <laughs> but yeah, but you just, but I, I'm so excited about you getting to like dive back into this though. Yeah, me too. So it sounds like we have our plan. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, thank you everybody for joining us in the right place, which is wherever you happen to be. At the right time, which is whatever time you've got. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at RightPlacePod or on our individual Twitter accounts at Lucy and Bookland. And um, wow. Either at the Gorgonist or at Robin Robinsonia, whichever, whichever you feel, whether you want to see my portal into just like Kidlit Zone or my like general art hmm. Twitter. Happy writing, everybody. Happy writing. <laughs> Thank you.